Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cloud Spotting. Uh, Sai here. Hey, Alex. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thanks, Sai. I'm enjoying sitting here at BBC Television Centre, Studio 3, <laughs> or otherwise known as my study at 578 degrees with the nice warm weather we've got at the moment. Uh, is, our, is that Fahrenheit or centigrade temperature? Uh, I, I think we're. I'm trying to invent a new <laughs> measurement device for temperatures, which will include just how warm it is in here at the moment. I've actually been uh, working outside the last couple of days. I've got a big umbrella in the garden, and I thought that was the best way to do it to avoid the heat. But you nice know, podcast recording in the garden is is not one where I'm willing to go to just yet. <laughs> That's yeah, probably four. not a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> probably not <laughs> yet. Probably what not about yet. yourself. Yeah, that's been good. Um, I think I, I did invent a new temperature um, unit. It's called mm -hmm. face melt. Um, <laughs> that's when it gets so hot that your face starts melting. But yeah, we haven't we haven't hit that point yet. But I think we're close to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we have three amazing guests today for this episode. Um, I think we haven't had uh, three guests for a long time. So I'd like to welcome three amazing essays that span Europe for Rackspace. Uh, we have Simon, Marcus, and Sashka. Guys, uh, Simon, you, Simon, can you please give us a quick introduction? Sure. So, Simon Roberts, I have been working in the IT industry now for three decades. Started as a software developer. Wow. Progressed through post sale support, then went to pre sale support, and then got more and more involved with solution support and realized that this was something I wanted to do and met some inspiring people along the way, one of which used to work at, well, actually two used to work at Rackspace, that uh, encouraged me to go, I want to be a solution architect. I want to do that. And a few years down the line, I've been at Rackspace now eight years. I managed to, uh, to succeed and uh, get that role. Now I'm in a manager role, so I look after a team of solution architects. Managing a team of architects brings new challenges, new frustrations, uh, and you know, new way of looking at things. Excellent, and, and also a return guest at Cloud Spotting. I am indeed. Thank you. <laughs> welcome back. Awesome. Met, we made an impression the first time, Simon. It was such a good impression. We wanted to come back. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, you obviously need to get your your listener numbers back down again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Simon. Marcus, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, Marcus Schmidt. Um, so I'm also a solution architect, um, like everyone else here. Um, I'm based in Germany, a little bit northern of Munich. Um, and yeah, I mean, Simon has three decades. Um, I'm closing my first decade, I think. So, um, <laughs> and uh, from a background, I started more in a, let's say, more, more cloudy way, let's say. Um, back then when I started, uh, I was in a kind of a, yeah, a startup team within a, a larger enterprise. Uh, there we called right. it dynamic infrastructures, yeah, also with, uh, having self-service portals, things like, things like that. And um, I was more responsible for the operational um, yeah, side of things. Um, so basically yeah, right. following idle processes, things like that, which made me very quickly see that, um, okay, this is sort of one like the operational tasks, but I wanted to get uh -huh. more involved into services, into the products itself, what you have them to operate later on. Um, so I did also a little bit of um, service development. And this brought me very click quickly into the direction of pre-sales and solution architecture. Um, so I'm now doing um, this role for yeah almost seven years now. Nice. And uh, yeah, I mean, 
I'm, I'm here at Rackspace because we have just like so many different things, so many different platforms. I think it's kind of a, how, how you call it, a paradise for SAs, yeah, when it comes to solutions <laughs> and options. Yeah. All the Lego bricks, isn't uh, it? Yeah. That's it. And, yeah, All the and, Lego bricks, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, I'm, I'm indeed. glad to be here. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Marcus. And our final guest today, Sashka. Hey, do you want to give an introduction, please? Hi, Sai Alex. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Sashka. I'm working as solutions architect uh, in Rackspace based in uh, Netherlands. And I'm with Rackspace for almost a year and a half. Uh, previously, I have started uh, as system administrator, went through multiple roles such as uh, system engineer, um, uh, cloud engineer, DevOps, and at the end, um, yeah, I wrote to solutions architect. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so so I think I always had in a way like holistic approach to things. I always want to know what is happening in the background of, of the things. And I was always fascinated with, you know, uh, how to solve problems, especially more complex problems. And it's, it's in a way my passion. So this is why I chose this role. Amazing. Brilliant. So let's, um, let, I mean, I think... Um... We've probably given a little bit of a hint as to the the subject matter for today. We did. So we do. We we've every single episode that we've had to date, pretty much without fail, there's been a solution architect on the call. And I think one of the things that we get asked about as people who work in this field is what actually is a solution architect? What does a solution architect do? What do they bring to the table uh, other than reams of documentation and whiteboard pens? But we'll come back to that in a minute as well. Um, <laughs> and uh, and really starting to get an understanding of. Um, why people are drawn towards this as a, as a career path and then what value they add in this whole chain from the point where you know somebody has an idea about something that they want to do within a business and how does that then turn into a finished product or a finished service or a finished solution um, so I, I think I'd like to go to Simon first for an opinion on this one so Simon if, if, if you're sat in front of a customer and they say to you right you're a solution architect what is that how, how would you describe it I often describe it as somebody who's trying to interpret business needs and requirements and turn it into technology products and services. And the architect is the one who asks those probing questions to try and tease the right information out to get what you need to make the right selection of products and service. So like a translator of business requirements into that technical <laughs> solution. Indeed. And different architects approach it from, from different directions. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's, I think one of the joys of being an architect is everybody can look at the same problem and come up with different solutions. And, and that includes how you define your role and also how you go about gathering the information that you want and need to put the solution together indeed i mean uh, i yeah I, I think i've seen so many essays work and they have their own unique way of working and you're right simon i think it's uh, it 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 does depend on how how you sort of comfort where your comfort zone lies and how you're comfortable in different discussion points etc yeah and so, the, i think probably the background of the essay has the biggest part of that doesn't it because that's it you know we've got three people on the call here all from slightly different backgrounds, which means those the, the experiences that they've had will then be applied in different ways in, in how they then solve a problem. 
and what angle they're looking at it from, which is why actually we may come to this in a bit as well. You know, you don't always necessarily have a single solution architect working on a problem as well. Sometimes, depending on the scale and the complexity, et cetera, we will actually work together uh, to come up with a solution based on the various experiences of those different architects. And I think the other kind of key point there is, um, for me anyway, it's it's both a highly collaborative, but also slightly lonely role in different times, because in many ways you're you're working together in this close virtual team, but then you're going away and you're working in a solo function to then create all of the, you know, the design, the documentation, et cetera. So it's quite, it's both, it has kind of both ends of that spectrum, I think, from collaboration yep. and, uh, and, and working to, uh, working on your own. Marcus, what about yourself? Like, what did you find as moving from that, uh, that more engineering focused background and coming into the architecture space? What were the biggest kind of surprises for you? That's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> because, um, I mean, real surprises, I, I think, um, one of the things you, you you look at when you are more in an operational or in a technical role is that uh, I mean there are always there there are certain things within a system where you are like oh this is just wrong and could do this and that much better. Now you are in this role as a solution architect and you learn how difficult it really is once you see um, all the dependencies of of systems yeah within a customer environment or within cloud you always have dependencies to any other um, application system or even users um, and and then you have to account yeah for this and especially um, budget yeah um, you, you suddenly have also the conversation of um, how many money is even on the table for the solution mm -hmm. so you cannot go always with the let's say with the hi highest quality um even though you would like to go but always meet the budget does it yeah exactly exactly <laughs> it's just uh yeah you, you have to to meet a certain price point and of course to simon's point it's translating also the business needs yeah why would i need to run for a development system into a yeah globally available solution yeah it just makes no sense mm. so there's always this and, and i think this was some kind of surprise yeah um that it's much harder um to really come up with uh a solution which fits all those dimensions yeah not only the technical piece i think in most cases the technical part this is this is actually the easy one yeah it gets difficult when you have all those different requirements and then challenges around um and you have to yeah to ar architect for it yeah solution for it yeah. indeed indeed so that to that point then sashka you have all of these varying requirements how do you let's imagine that you're you know for anybody who doesn't know what an essay does you get pulled into a, a you know a, a, an opportunity to work with a customer um, and you've got to understand what's going on in their business and then come up with a solution to their their, their challenges how do you go about that what's the kind of typical process that you follow yeah so i think one of the most important things is to understand the business and to understand as well what are the business goals for let's say the upcoming year or few years also to understand, for example, the um, uh, budget, timelines, to understand how the organization work, capabilities of uh, the IT teams. Uh, so, of course, you can um, create a solution that will um, be aligned to, to all these requirements. Uh, it's not always, of course, about creating the latest and greatest solution from technology perspective, uh, but it's what is the right for the customer at that moment in time, right? I think you make a, a absolutely valid point there, Sashka. And particularly, I think one of the challenges that you've highlighted there is, or sorry, not the challenges, but the the approach, it's far more than just how do you solve this one problem? 
Because what you're talking about there is understanding the context of the business itself and how this problem then fits into that and therefore making sure we find the right solution. So, I mean, you've got all of these various different stakeholders. You've got all of these uh, various requirements. So what do you, you know, what's the typical process to actually go through and gather these requirements? And what do we do when we actually have requirements that butt up against each other? Yeah, so, so I mean, it's um, gathering requirements, of course, um, uh, as you mentioned, like uh, running multiple meetings with the stakeholders, uh, with the technical teams and so on. And then uh, everything, of course, is came, coming together. Uh, so at the end, uh, you know, you have uh, enough information uh, to start and go, go building the solution in a way. Uh, and of course, it takes multiple iterations. Amazing. Yes, I, I totally understand what you're saying. The, sometimes you have requirements, sometimes you don't. I've, I've had so <laughs> many meetings where you, you, you meet a customer and you, you want to design a solution and they say, well, I want, I want this fully finished building and here's, here's a wall. Uh, and you gotta, you got to fill in the blanks. And, and this, is, this is where uh, I've had a few, sometimes we had some um, um, engineers or even DevOps engineers come and uh, shadow us on these calls. And, and one word that I've, I've heard them use before and they come to us and say is like, this is, this is pure chaos. So it's this, uh, how do you design something from partial information or even uh, information that may not be suitable or sort of, how do you sort of do that? So in, in your mind, t- talk us through how would you sort of build a solution from requirements? Do you tend to, and, and actually, so, so the better question is, does it, does it actually hold true in the different countries? So we have markets, we have, you have Germany, you've seen, you talk to customers in Germany. Does it actually, val- does it validate my point? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I, I think it's, uh, I don't know if, if it has so much to do really with the culture of the region than with mm-hmm. also the maturity of the uh, stakeholder of the customers themselves, yeah. Um, so I've seen like like what you said, like here, here's a wall, build the house, yeah. Um, this happens a lot when you talk to companies who, they, 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 they saw something fancy or heard about something and they want to have something similar, but they don't even know how to describe the part to it. So then you are in this world of assumptions. Um, and yes, you can you can go very far. And uh, <laughs> I mean, to that case, I remember a very German company. Um, they, 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 were, um, they were quite German. They wanted to, they drilled down on a lot of um, topics. You know, they want to understand how, it's, how it works, how those different services, um, what they need to, to, um, to check for. But what they missed to, to check with us is, um, to even though we stated very clearly you know like what 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 we support and what they right. their responsibility is they just missed and they made assumptions on their end which Whoa. basically led to that um basically i start also recording customer assumptions which are not necessarily us- usually tracked by myself so it's just <laughs> another piece into the chaos you know that you also have to keep track of some of your customers um thinking um and to make sure that they consider things which are not necessarily in our re- or in a solution mm. architect uh, responsibility. Yeah. Um, and it, and so are you saying that a, a part of that is kind of making sure that you're capturing all of the thoughts and ideas and the concepts that are coming from the customer, but at the same time, it sounds like a big part of your role is also educating the customer. Oh yeah, oh yeah. 
a lot, a lot. And then there are often the questions like, why do we now use this service and not this service? And why did you make the decision to go for this kind of configuration and not this mm -hmm. configuration? Um, and this is also like uh, what you said with uh, that we often work together as solution architects. Um, sometimes you have so many um, so, uh, technical and technologies in it, you, you are not able alone to cover all the depth of it yeah so you need to rely on yeah. people who who have more experience uh, in certain technologies yeah? so pulling together the expertise from different subject yeah. matter experts in different fields yeah. to make sure that you end up with an overall solution that meets those customer requirements yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah that almost sounds like you need to be not just a architect but you also need to be an sme of sorts and you also need to be a technology leader because you now have to sort of lead the project, essentially lead the solution with multiple architects. Mm -hmm. I mean, Simon, you must have encountered these situations before. How do you tend to sort of get your head around what role and what hat am I wearing today and how am I going to work through the solution? Often it's it's a, about applying what's, what's logical. Uh, and it's... It's something that you kind of pick up or you and hopefully you can observe it in uh, other essays who have already mastered the skill of, of um, being able to tap dance whilst not knowing what the tune is and, and not giving <laughs> away that you don't know what the tune is. So that people go, oh, he, he knew that tune. We didn't tell him <laughs> or her. So it's it's. Yes, applying some logic, and, and so if you get thrown something where you don't necessarily know very much or much at all about that particular service or product, and I think the other thing is, well, the two things. One, one is have some humility, so to being able to be comfortable in your own skin, to get to a point in a, in a meeting and say, "I'm sorry, I have exhausted." what information I can share about that particular topic, subject, service, product. So what I'd like to do is to carry on gathering information to try and understand what's the driver behind why you're asking those questions. Often the reason the customer goes down that path is because they have had a really bad experience. And so they, they remember that bad experience and want to be sure they don't yeah. repeat it. So that helps you grab a little bit of context. The other piece I would say that an essay has to have, and Marcus touched on this earlier, is you're also part salesperson. It's about understanding and asking those questions to be sure you're talking the right language when it comes to the costs and the values, uh, what potential return and investments would be or what the total cost of ownership would be so that those people who are driven by those levers have the information they need in order that they can make the right decisions and, and be uh, able to help get the solution sold to the customer. So a solid, a solid commercial understanding and understanding what the impacts are to customers in terms of their actual finances as well is, is something that's going to really have a big impact on how you design solutions. I think that's a really, really key point, uh, Simon. But the other one, other thing you raised there, I, th I think is um, really important is it's understanding the why, isn't it? Because there's a million and one different potential solutions to a problem. 
but if you don't understand the why the customer is doing this, you may actually come up with completely wrong solution because you're trying to solve problem A, but actually they're trying to solve problem B. They just mm. didn't realize that. And part of what <laughs> you're what part of what you're doing as you're pulling out and you're extracting these different threads of conversations um, is getting to the why. So you know Simon Sinek, we love Simon Sinek on the show. Uh, so you know, go, <laughs> going back to Simon Sinek's book, I think it's uh, it's exactly the point, isn't it? It's um, it's why why does a customer want to do a specific thing? Why does an organization want to get to a specific place? And what's the most expedient, most financially appropriate way to get to that point? Yeah, and it's very very accurate point because I think one thing uh, early on, coming from engineering and coming from core technology solutions and, and you starting to work as an SA, the first thing I think uh, probably I was taught is, A, you got to speak the language of the person who's listening to you. So if you're, if you're talking to a CTO, think about how you would want to talk to them. If you're talking to a CFO, think about how you want to talk to them. But I think even more than that, you're absolutely right, is we're not there to, to say, here's the technology you need, but actually ask them the question as to, why do you need this technology? Can I do it any better? Uh, and I guess that's more is what an architect than what it is. Uh, but just going back to your point there, Simon, um, uh, just talking about solutions and design and obviously uh, having to handle so many different things in our minds. Um, so general question here across across the board, I think there, there is a concept of uh, having peer reviews and, and, and us being humans at the end of the day, we probably can't have everything in our head and probably can't type out everything in our head. At least I can't. I know you can, Alex. Um, so I think for me, peer review is, is a godsend. Uh, how do you guys see, or do you actually go through a lot of peer review with, between each other? And how do you guys see the benefits of a peer review of a solution? <laughs> we, we have uh, uh, quite often um, reviews of, I would say there, there are two different things, I think. One is um, where you have actually a, a peer review where someone walks over a whole solution. Um, and then you mm -hmm. have what, what happens a lot more is where you have a specific challenge you're trying to solve and then you have the chat with the with your peers and then you 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 walk it through and then you talk talk through it um and then of course for the formal ones this helps a lot to at least for myself to to become better in the overall solutioning yeah also to make clear um things like if if you do assumptions or you note certain things down that they are precise enough and that also the counterpart can understand those things so it, go, it goes sometimes quite far away from technology again, yeah, because it's more like, how do you phrase or explain certain things? Because um, we live in the whole, let's say, AWS or Azure or Google worlds, you know, um, <laughs> we design the solutions and we think um, in those solutions. So we exa uh, know exactly what we mean by mentioning VPC or VNet or, you know, firewalls yeah. and so on. The customer has, yeah, maybe no information at all on those services. So this is where um, those reviews helped me a lot. And uh, then of course, I mean, the let's say the, the most annoying one is when you, you, you come up with a solution and then it's like, ah, you don't know, you can just use this or that service or look here, <laughs> this is much easier. And you know, and then you, this isn't something you remember and overall it makes you a, a better, better solution architect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so drawing from the drawing from the well, call it drawing from the village, the village well of knowledge. Yeah, uh, you yeah, know, this exactly. peer this peer review system that we actually implement is a great way to share ideas, share different methods of approaching and solving those problems, and find the one that's most expedient. Uh, but also of making sure that 
um, the thought processes that we go through to get to a solution are valid and that all of the things that we're assuming make sense. So it's really key, actually, that, um, you know, every every architect is an island, but it's great that they go and uh, that they go and converse with the islands <laughs> next door to make sure that everything's good for the for the for the community, isn't it? So, um, I mean, the other thing I was just thinking about is, uh, you know, in light of the current situation, how things have changed a little bit from, you know, say, pre pre COVID lockdown versus now. Um, we talked a little bit about day in the life of a solution architect and a big part of that being, you know, getting in front of customers and talking through the requirements. So, Sashka, can you talk through what does that normally look like? And, you know, what have the differences been since we've gone into this into this new way of working recently? Yeah, I mean, so so obviously we cannot go you know, on a customer side and meet with with customers. Uh, so all of the meetings are taking place online, um, and sometimes, of course, it's more difficult to to build a relationship uh, if it's uh, you know uh, via Zoom. Uh, and the only difference uh, really is that I can see it, it takes more iterations, right? Um, when you are, of course, uh, talking in a pers person with the customers, uh, then you, you have like whiteboards available, so it's always easier to get it right from the first time. Mm -hmm. Good old human beings in a room with a whiteboard, yeah, some pens, exactly. and just yeah. you know, fleshing out the problem, isn't it? So just out of interest, Simon, so you, you know, obviously you've come from a background of being an SA, you're now leading essays. Is that, is that one of the things you miss about not being a frontline SA anymore? The, the 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 was it the cut and thrust and parry of you know with the whiteboard pens? <laughs> I I would be fibbing if if I could <laughs> to say that there wasn't wasn't the case because I definitely was uh, attracted to that uh, as being part of the role. So mm -hmm. how do I get my fix now? I do it by enabling my team to achieve things. Mm -hmm. So my my products and services have, have become the team that i am trying to manage and lead mm. and by setting the right examples by teaming them up with subject matter experts specialists uh other essays who have maybe had experience in that particular engagement style or type mm -hmm. and encouraging them to take training to go realize where where their gaps are and help them plug their gaps so i get i get my fix mostly through that way and if i can't then i've got an old car in the garage at home and i, <laughs> I, I just go, go fix things on that instead uh-huh well, so it's interesting do you know when you, so you talk about training there so technical understanding is clearly really critical you know and we can all Everybody learns in slightly different ways, but it's very easy for everybody to find some method of learning that will allow them to learn the technical side of being an architect. Um, you know, knowing all the ins and outs of Azure or all the ins and outs of uh, AWS or, or Google or whatever, VMware, so forth. Um, and all of the other things that can plug into it, you know, whether it be security, mm. uh, security appliances or whatever. But what that doesn't account for is how do you go through the thought process of of being an architect how do you run those meetings um you know those meetings that you talked about missing there simon um for me that has always been almost in an uh i'd almost go back to the apprentice style you know you you look at other architects and you 
you you observe them you sh you know we talk in rackspace when people are onboarding they shadow other architects to see yeah. how they how they work and you take a bit of a flavor from every single other architect that you work with all the best things that you see them doing you're like right okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna run my meetings like that or i'm gonna ask my questions in that way because that helps me get to the get to the nub of the point um and i think that's one of the things that i love personally uh, about this industry or about this part of the industry that we're lucky enough to work in that we have this opportunity to learn from other people in a very kind of human way um which we can have all the technical analysis in the world but the best architects that we have are, are those people who you want to then emulate and you want to learn from them and you you know very much in an old school you know go back a thousand years to apprenticeships <laughs> you know it's the same thing you know same as the blacksmith thing. a thousand years ago you're learning from that other that other person yeah Oh, I agree. I agree. But I, I, I'll add a, probably a bit more to it because another thing I noticed is, especially as an SA, when you start going into meetings, whether it be virtual or face-to-face, -face, because our roles overlap on certain areas with other people in that room. So you may have a, you may have a technologist in there. You may have a salesperson in there. You may have a, um, an engagement person in there. I think it, it, it's also critical to understand the 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 un, understand where to sort of step in where to sort of step out and and let the other person talk so that that gelling of communication i think that's super critical and i've had so many times when i had a new um person with me in a meeting and we were pretty much both competing to say the same thing it, it just gets all messy and and you're looking at each other in the end and the customer is laughing at you uh, I'm sure we've talked about this before. Basically, in your case, it's just best to stay quiet. I think that's the rule of thumb, isn't it? Yeah, just just everybody else <laughs> stay quiet. Let me just talk. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, no, I think I think that's that's quite critical as well. Um, okay, so on to just before we wrap then, because we're I think we're we're getting got quite a long episode here. It could almost be though that you know, as architects, we do like to do a bit of navel gazing. So there is an element of that, which is why this episode is maybe a little longer than average. Oh, we, uh, we, the thing is, what we haven't really finalised is why, why do we do this? And yes, that's a very good point. And the the dopamine hit of getting the solution right is something that you want to go back and do again, mm -hmm. and you want to do something that's larger or more complicated or more distributed or more secure or higher value or challenging in in, in 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 another way mm -hmm. that's that's why we do it so even though we talk about all these challenges and the way that your diary can be disrupted multiple times we do like to work with structure we get it we also like the randomness most of all though we like that to succeed we like that success i think yeah. that's absolutely fantastic uh, Simon, you've you've got it in a nutshell there. Where the the and I think you've highlighted what the vast majority of architects I've ever worked with um, is they're always looking to then do that more complex challenge next. In any of mm. those multiple different methods that you mentioned mentioned there, it's always about a bigger, harder, more difficult, more challenging solution. So it's about the architects challenging themselves to then come up with that solution. Okay, so onto our onto our book review section. Thank you, Simon. Um, so we'll we'll come back to you. In fact, first, if you don't mind. Uh, so, uh, what what's been something that you've read recently or in the past couple of years that you you think would be of of big value to our listeners? For me, Sumo is is a book by Paul McGee. Uh, he originally said, "Shut up, move on." 
he realised that that doesn't necessarily sit well in southern England or in the rest of Europe. So suggested it was stop, understand, move on. And it's it's a really good framework for being able to deal with situations. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, he, he, the question he asks most often is, did anybody die? No, they didn't. Well, there we go. <laughs> you've understood and you've moved on and you can you can change your behavior and reaction to something and get through it he talks about hippo days as well which is an important concept particularly in the in the situation that we're in right now with you know coming out of uncertainty yeah is is it's okay to have a down day as long mm-hmm. as you can keep it to a down day or a couple of days it's it's all right. It's it's a way of just repairing and reflecting, so that you can then bounce back and and get back to being what your your normal is, mm. uh, given the, the the changes that we're in. So I yeah thoroughly recommend that book. I've recommended it to lots of people. It's I follow him on Twitter, very uh, very influential, and he's branched out into bringing his concepts to to the youth and to to schools. And to, to key workers and teachers as well. Uh, really good story uh, behind why he created the book. So, yep, big promoter. Brilliant. Amazing. I'm adding it to my Amazon list as we speak. Oh, sorry, other book vendors are available. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what about yourself, Marcus? Have you have you brought any uh, particular favorites with you today? Oh, there's always something. I mean, when, when we look at the... Uh, what. Yeah, sounds interesting what you said just now, uh, Simon. Uh, definitely a book I will put on my list. Um, um, I, I, I've read a similar book, which is more about um, your your own thinking. Um, it's all around, um, it's called Thinking Fast and Slow. Maybe you've heard it from uh, Daniel Kahneman. Um, it's, it's a really good book to just think about, like, where are the things where you should really in, invest your, your brain time, yeah? And where are things you, you know, it's just not worth uh, spending much time on it. And it um, also explains very well um, the way our brain functions when it comes to those thinking process. And I think this helped me a lot in just um, understanding a little bit myself, you know, like, okay, why do I make sometimes rather quick decisions and sometimes super slow, even though it's not even important, you know? So it's like, uh, it, it helps a lot, not only in the job, um, but uh, in general, you know? Um, and then more from a technology point of view, so I have a second book recommendation here. Um, so, so at the moment, I also look a little bit more into things like software architecture. Um, and uh, there's, uh, I think it's already quite for some time around. Um, it's the Building Microservices from Sam Newman. It's a uh, good book, more on the foundations of the whole microservices concept. And I've, I mean, I've not read the whole book yet. I'm in the middle of it. But um, You're reading I mean, in small just... chunks by any chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I must Sorry, say, it had to be done. It had to be done. Yeah, distributed, distributed. So you've got different pages spread yeah. around the house, and you'll yeah. read them at random order, and hopefully, some of them make sense again. Uh, so excellent, thank you, Marcus. Uh, well, I, I'm definitely another one to add to my list. And Sashka, um, what are your thoughts on on something that our listeners could uh, get dug into? I quite like the what the book about the Tyrannos Affair. I think it was uh, quite fun and interesting book. How the ambition and uh, maybe the pressure to actually make something huge 
um, uh, jeopardize uh, a lot of uh, people, like uh, investors, but eventually, you know, the people that were actually supposed to use the, the devices. Awesome. Big, big risk, big reward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Driven by, <laughs> you know, the Silicon Valley success story, actually, yeah. and uh, quite huge ambition. So. Excellent. Oh, definitely want to add to the list. Thank you. So what we'll do then, uh, we will add all four of those books onto the uh, onto our podcast notes. Um, and with that, I think we're going to wrap, aren't we? We're out of time. We are. I think we are out of time. But that yeah. does mean, of course, I can now go and sit in a bucket of ice, which is what I think hey. I need to do after sitting in my study for the last <laughs> hour and a bit. Um, <laughs> so I just want to say thank you very much to our special guests, Simon Roberts, Marco Schmidt, Sashka Ninchovska, if I got that right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take the rest of the month off for this summer and we will be back again in uh, what would it be August now. And we've got a really interesting episode coming up around personal development uh, with somebody from what we call Rackspace University. So our internal Mm. training uh, function who's going to be yeah talking with us on that subject. So thanks very much, everybody, for listening. If you do have uh, you know 30 seconds of time you can spare just to go and give us a little cheeky, you know, five stars. Was, uh, was it five for five, as they say on Uber? Um, five stars on, uh, on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite podcatcher app. That would be amazing. Uh, and leave us a few comments on there as well, things you'd like to see uh, moving forward from the show. And until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>